Well, hello and welcome to Pod of the Gaps, the podcast that seeks to plug the gaps between the church and uh, culture with a mixture of wit, wisdom, banter and a whole range of other things. I'm Andy Bannister and I'm joined by my co-podcastee, Aaron Edwards. Ed- Aaron, how are you doing today? I'm very good, thank you, Andy. Good to, good to be a co-podcastee uh, any time of the week. You struggled our... to say that too, right? That was co-podcast. Right. Well, I was more mocking yours, but that's, you know. Well, exactly, you know, exactly. Going... Don't don't mock, it could be the thing of the future. Well, we've got a, uh, as ever, got a packed episode. Thanks to all of you who have been listening to the show and sharing the show and talking about the show. And as ever, we always say, if you do enjoy Pod of the Gaps, you can help us in a number of ways. Please do tell other people about the show. Do share it on social media. Do uh, like us and give us a review, especially on Apple podcast for you uh you apple users and of course thank mm. you to those of you who support the show financially and you can do that if you want to um but uh, aaron what have you been up to since the last episode anything exciting has the beard grown any theological heresies any of the you know mm. it's an exciting world in theological education I it know. is of course it is very exciting yeah no we had our phd students in this week which was interesting and uh, good did. good to kind of connect with them and catch up with my some of my students I'm supervising that kind of thing but we have been particularly active on Twitter the last week obviously with the uh the recent uh debacles at uh, the Anglican Synod and having and having discussions with people about why why that was interesting or not to get involved in because it's it's just you know with the with the Anglican um, vote on uh, blessing same-sex marriage that was something that was particularly animating to me and I kind of felt this is something that's really worth talking about so got into a few debates got called various names and all that kind of jazz which is always fun yeah i mean obviously we've talked around that issue quite a bit on the podcast which is why i think we didn't cover it particularly but i I don't know about you the thing i found uh, intriguing is that classic anglican fudge right Mm. if if same-sex marriage is biblical if you genuinely believe that then surely the anglican church should switch and start actually marrying people on the other hand it's not biblical if uh, mm. it's not the biblical understanding of marriage, then why are you blessing it? It seems mm. to me to be mm. this very strange halfway house that is neither fish nor fowl, you know, to quote the yeah. old proverb. And no wonder, ironically, you now look at the reaction, the it seems that both sides in this discussion are, are irate. You know, the progressive mm. side are, you know, furious that they haven't got their thing. And, you know, Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, seems to have managed to alienate the rest of the Anglican communion. Yeah. And it looks like the whole thing is going to fracture. So it seems a really yeah. weird. Well, decision. especially as he went to Uganda and then kind of said, "I only did it. I only did it because, you know, the MPs pinned me to to a wall in you know in the, in the House of Commons or something, as though you know he he was a uh, he was forced to do it against his will in some way. Like he gave a different speech, mm. a, a speech with a different tone. He's it's so hard. I mean, who could be the Archbishop? It is an impossible job. And we were reminded by one of our listeners. Um, obviously, to to make sure we we have a we we shout oh, out yes. to the the good Anglican evangelical Anglicans who are holding the line, which is fair to do. We I don't know if we ever come across as dissing all Anglicans. Um, there's certainly many great Anglicans out there, and, and for them, they're the ones who are really suffering in a big way. So one of the things I've been animated by to talk about all of that has been precisely. I don't think the progressives know how much suffering they're going to cause for people on the other side. So even if even by their own therapeutic kind of uh, lens, which is basically the big argument. Mm. How can you be so horrible and conservative in abusing all these people, harming them, making them feel like they're not welcomed by God um, because you're not say, affirming their sexuality? Um, well, what about the people you're going to harm on the other side? There's going to be quite a lot who are going to 
feel yeah. like they can't stay. They're going to have to give up their jobs or pensions or houses, whatever, or they're going to face ostracizing by the culture. That's obviously the case. So the, the progressive sides are the ones um, kind of siding with power, which is ironic because they're the ones supposed to be we're the truth against the the, the kind of corrupt powers of those establishment, that kind of thing. Well, and the other piece in that, by the way, without turning this into an episode on this issue, I know, we, we do we return to this. A something lot, something more exciting to talk about is the harm piece is interesting because you know one of my good friends is a guy called David Bennett, and I know you've come across David mm. as uh, as yeah, well. We've had him at and, before, yeah. yeah, David's phenomenal, and um, for folks who want to check his story out, you can read his book War of Loves. And David was a uh, gay uh, Australian. Uh, atheist and actually not just gay athe- a gay activist and i always say i'm not sure which of those things was the was the hardest you know in terms of coming to to faith probably the australian piece um but anyway comes to faith in, in christ very dramatic testimony and through the first 18 months two years of his his following christ you know walked through that process of walking away mm. from inactive you know, gay gay lifestyle and um what I like about David, firstly, I love the fact he's so passionate about Christ. I love the fact that he's got such a heart for reaching the LGBT community. But also, discipleship is so central for him. And he's talked a lot in the last week or two about how hurt that synod decision has left him because yeah. he feels that his church won't support him. As someone who is you know, wanting to follow Christ faithfully and wanting pastoral support in walking that well as someone who is same-sex attracted, he said, you know, it feels like a slap in the face. To have the church turn around and go, oh, you know, just get out there and have a relationship with somebody and we'll bless it and all is all right. Um, Mm. And so, yeah, tremendous harm, actually. If you read Mm. David's, you know, tweets over the last few weeks, you know, really, really quite badly hurt by by that. And Mm. that doesn't that doesn't trump the discussion. I don't want to turn the other way around and go, hey, we've got emotive arguments, therefore the traditionalists win. But, yeah, Mm. the idea from the progressive camp that, you know, it's the traditional position that's causing harm Mm. is is very, very simplistic. I think we yeah. need to step back and go, look, we recognise there are deeply felt beliefs on both sides, mm. um, but we all don't argue on the basis of feeling. By the way, connecting those two things and then linking oh, yeah. to what we want to talk about today. So you, I also spent some time on social media this morning. Well, I was writing a, a talk for University Mission. I was playing with ChatGPT, which is this exciting new artificial intelligence sort of service that lots of the media <laughs> are talking about. And we're going to do an episode on AI. But boy, it's quite exciting when you can convince an artificial intelligence bot that actually um, you need to keep guinea pigs away from hand grenades um, and that, rat, that that ducks can be bigger than than than, uh, than camels. That was an exciting yeah. thing. Um, but I also hung around <laughs> social media. And you mentioned the uh, the Synod stuff, Aaron. T- uh, you know, two people who've been quite influential in the campaign to try and get the Church of England to totally, you know, turn its biblical understanding of marriage upside down have been Steve Chalk, um, known to uh, no, known to listeners of the show that he is a and a big supporter of the show. I'm sure. I'm sure he might be a bet noir, um, and also Jane Ozan, yeah. who's a yeah. who's a who's a you know LGBT Christian campaigner. Well, yeah. <laughs> I went on social media this morning to find Steve was joined a little campaign that Jane had got going to try and land herself a free upgrade on a Qantas flight from London to to Australia of some thing she's speaking at. But she was playing this line of going, I'm an LGBT campaigner and, you know, influential. And But because of that, because I campaign for social justice, I don't have money. And it's like, Qantas, please give me an upgrade. And then Steve trying to get behind this. Uh, and I was like, okay, you kind of can't make... When I first read it, I thought it was a parody, actually. And, I, yeah, you, know. you sent it to me earlier, and I kind of thought, I, I can't believe what I'm reading. This is and it is actually true. This is new lows. There are new lows here. Kind of and ble- well, new highs, 36,000 feet. But bless <laughs> them, Qantas have, uh, have, uh, have not responded. And she tweeted, she is, I'm afraid, uh, you know, she's stuck back there 
in economy, like us lesser mortals. Whenever I go and speak in Australia, yes. I get stuck in 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 economy. Maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. Maybe I should go. Hey, I'm a, I'm a philosopher. You know, could I get right. an upgrade? So there 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 is a queue in Qantas, but it's at the start of the company name, not in terms yeah. of freebies. But that was quite funny. So um, anyway, wish her well, wish her safe travels. But I had to. I had to laugh. But here's the thing, Aaron, to go. So that vote at Synod to do the strange mm. we blessing kind of. Yeah, yeah. When I say we, that's a Scottish we, they're not blessing we. Um, the, the blessing Nintendo thing we. that they went for to try and like, you know, sit on the fence. That happens on the 8th of February. Mm. Um, on the 8th of February, something else interesting happened on the other side of the world. Uh, in Asbury, uh, a college mm. town in the United States, um, what has been described as quite literally a revival broke out. The Holy Spirit has come dramatically. Mm. Churches are packed. Lots of people are coming to Christ. Amazing things are happening. If you Google Asbury Revival 2023, if you haven't come across this story already, amazing things going on. I first came across it, by the way, because people that I respect tremendously, not, you know, Mm. sort of strange weirdos on social media who leap on any story. So people like Craig Keener, you know, Mm. Craig is an incredibly gifted academic, biblical commentator, uh, and writer, you know, many of his. I've read many of his books and, and enjoyed them. A real, a really deep thinker. Um, he was tweeting about it and telling stories about it because he's on that campus, and um, quite astonishing. But quite fa- fascinating. It's the same day, so the day that the Church of England was just tying itself up in knots and had, I think, forgotten that evangelism was a thing. Suddenly, yeah. something is happening. Now, you follow this story slightly more than me, so why don't for folks who haven't yet, you know, discovered this or have only minimally come across it, Aaron? What is going on? At, at, uh, at Asbury. Asbury, what is going well? Who, I mean, well, in a, in a yeah, way, as far as we know, what's, yeah. what's going down, dude? <laughs> yeah, so I've just, I'm just there. I've just kind of got, got my Qantas flight actually. Just come back. Jane, Jane gave me her spare first class ticket. Actually, they, they came through in the end for her. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. The link, but the kind of timing is kind of uncanny. It's kind of an interesting thing that um, that we are seeing. We're really embroiled in the stories here, and it and the global significance to all that Anglican stuff. Um, going on and the very same time something as you say completely different it almost could be distracting um, but there's something interesting especially with the language of blessing so a revival is often um, referred to as a kind of special anointed time of God blessing the church and so it's just kind of funny that the Anglican church I used the language uh, last week the Anglican church uh, in, in in England here what was blessing almost giving god their blessing to bless same-sex marriage and on the, and the other side of the world we have god blessing and and kind of bringing up stuff for people which oh, like is really that. leading to conviction of sin in lots of cases that's kind of how why at first there's, got, there's a lot of skepticism about what's going on at asbury as there always is in any revival um but from what i've seen so far i think there's really good signs of um, a, a move of the spirit of god and basically that it's, it's not like an incredible magical technical thing that you go well what's the official categories of a, of a revival there are many different scholars who who sort of speak into that kind of thing and we, t- we teach a course on revival here i've got i i, I lecture on a, on a course we do on our ma here i've got a colleague who's very much uh, researching in, in revival and has certain definitions of how it it differs from from renewal where where, it, where god is blessing the church to renew its commitment and revival which is kind of when it spills out from just the church out into the wider culture. So it's kind of, we're not quite sure whether this will be a capital R revival and, and kind of like the Great Awakening was or many other times in history, but it really has a significant cultural impact or whether it's just a time of renewal where God is bringing people back to him, renewing their um, commitment to him 
and uh, yeah, and, and bringing conviction mm. of sin, which is why I think it's so interesting at the, the contrast with with yeah. the kind of blessing of sin on one side of the world and the conviction and, and, of sin and the conviction on the, on the other. But let's just um for folks who aren't familiar, and I confess mm. it's not an area I know uh, a huge amount about. But you know that category difference there, renewal revival. You know when when is can we can we say when a revival is a revival. So to give you some context, you know, I've just come back from university mission at the university in Scotland, had an amazing week there, packed mm. events, mm. you know, God clearly at work, you know, people taking steps towards faith, a few coming mm. towards faith. I, I don't think I'd go that was a revival. I'd go to an incredible, exciting week and God clearly working mm. through the speaking team and the students there. When does something like that say, when, you know, where do we suddenly start using the revival language I'm not being critical I'm not, I think revivals yeah. happen I'm just intrigued yeah, yeah yeah is there any sense where we can say yeah this is this is more than just you yeah. know God, well, God working in the way that yeah. God often works it's very simple Andy all, all you needed to do was would be to change the name of your ministry from Solas to Andy Bannister Revival Ministries.org and uh, it would be a revival then anything you do whenever there's a move it will be called a revival easy you well, know. clearly naming yeah, organizations yeah. after people, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other discussion. Yeah, yeah that's Tim, another episode, isn't it? Exactly. The yeah, Tim yeah. Keller Center for Cultural Apologetics we might talk about in another show. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, so but it's a good question. So basically, yeah, when, when, how do you distinguish, you know, when something is just happening, God is moving, as you say, when people become Christians, that would, that would be a sign of revival, people returning to God and giving their life to God. And we're seeing that at Asbury, which is really good. And it's, I mean, for those of you, I didn't say earlier that, What's actually happening there is just a, basically a prayer meeting, a chapel service, kind of normal 10 a.m. chapel service. They have three times a week at the college. We do them and we do them every day at, here at Cliff College, but we haven't had a revival here as far as I know this week um, or last week. But um, they, one of these services on, on February the 8th, uh, on the Wednesday, just carried on. So, the, so all it was was people sticking around after the service and praying and seeking God. Um, there was clearly some connection to the the message that was preached, but I listened to the last, well, at least part of that message. It's not like it was the most incredible message you've ever heard, but what it did do, it was pointing to people to take stock and to not just kind of go through the motions and to seek God afresh and, and to really not pretend anymore. And I think there's something of that piercing the pretense of lots of our, our Christian activities, that revival breaks through and there's an openness and a kind of new sense of fervor and faith and God moving. Mm. So, of course, we go to church every week. We go to Andy Bannister Mission Weeks and we have a great time. Everyone will listen to lectures. We'll do all this stuff, listen to Pot of the Gaps. And, and these are all great things. And these are good, steadfast activities we all do. But there's something about the Spirit of God touching people, opening their hearts afresh. And I think it starts, yeah, with, with that sense of people just in faith, seeking God afresh. Um, and that's a different thing. It's, it's almost like everything becomes easier. Um, we sometimes labor along, don't we, in terms of worship meetings, planning. We over-organize God in some way. We, we try to make him fit our schedules. And sometimes it seems he just messes up the schedule. And so you have whatever the schedule was at Asbury University. I mean, I dread to think how the lecturers, <laughs> how, do, how do you get people to come to uh, lectures? What, what if you're a theology lecturer? talking about a course on the Holy Spirit and people don't turn up to your lectures because they're going to receive from the Holy Spirit at this kind of ongoing prayer meeting, which goes on for like well over a week and on, you know, never ending worship seemingly in prayer and then testimonies mm. and preaching. So it's just a kind of, from what I hear so far, it's not something that's been organized. It's something that they've had to respond mm. to. And I think that's the difference. We like to organize God. Um, and I think sometimes God likes to reorganize us and go, okay, I'm just going to come and 
yeah. blast in here and give you a sense of what what it really is like when when I'm um, when, mm. when you're open to me and I can yeah. I can move. That's really helpful, and I think you're right. There's something in that. I mean, we see that, don't we? Right back in the, I mean, right back in the biblical pattern. I mean, you think mm. of the day of Pentecost. That wasn't mm. planned. I mean, you can see if you read the Book mm. of Acts, you could see planned mission, can't you? Paul and the yeah. other apostles, they go, they, they're quite organized. They, they, they figure out where they're going to go and how they're going to organize it. And so those missionary journeys are quite structured. But it all begins with the day of Pentecost, boom. It's, mm. Um, mm. you know, they didn't sit mm. down and, and, and workshop that one out. You know, there's 120 mm. disciples in the upper room going, okay, right, you know, we're going to build the agenda for next week's, you know, revival meeting. Mm. Um, you know, it was chaos to some degree. Mm. And and then the other one I think of as as well that I'm a I'm a big fan of you know would be things like the Welsh revival, mm. um, you know not being you know not being that far down the road from the Welsh border about an hour off off Wales and you know some of my favourite hymns of kind of Welsh revival hymns and so yeah. I, from from memory I think not that I was there personally from memory of my reading I stress similar things similar patterns there right so mm. a lot of that grew out of prayer meetings it was prayer meetings quite simple regular stuff that kind of sort of exploded mm. um outwards as, as god began doing something there was that conviction of sin you know you can read accounts of grown 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 adults you know just mm. utterly convicted mm. uh, and, and 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 weeping yeah. you know in terms of recognition of you know what they needed yeah. to do and and it was out of human control and arguably when things went a bit wrong was when humans did try and yes control. maybe similar in some ways then you know when i was in my 20s we had the toronto you know, oh, yeah. blessing. I remember that. And there's an interesting one because there's a debate there as to whether that was a revival or not. Mm. I think that was probably more of a renewal because I don't know if maybe there are, and I'm, you know, maybe people listening who will go, Andy, you, you, I can give you an example that counters that. In, in our circles, I didn't know anyone who became a Christian through that. I knew people whose faith got mm. reinvigorated. Yeah. But what was interesting, I think it was very, there was a lot of God in it, and then human beings got mm. their hands, uh, hands on it, and it became very structured. Mm. You know, let's have conferences mm. and organize great trips to t-shirts Toronto and, and mugs and t-shirts and all of yeah. those things. And um, and I think I think there's a sort of pattern here in history, isn't there? That God shows mm. up and does things, and human beings mm. come along, and we try and organize it and structure it and build little mm. gilded cages around it. And the Holy Spirit then flits on mm. to do the next. Well, so, well, so think thing. about what, what what when when you know, talk about the biblical examples when Jesus comes and uh, cleanses the temple. What does he say? He says, "My house should be a house of prayer." And you've made it a den of thieves, um, and of course that's kind of there's a corruption going on there. But there's also a sense of over again over organisation. Jesus is like the embodiment of, um, of 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 the Holy Spirit. Really, he sends his spirit, the spirit of Jesus, when he ascends, and that's what happens at Pentecost when when um, the spirit falls in a powerful and unique way. But when he's there in 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 physical flesh um, in the temple, there he cleanses the temple of things where the, what is the temple again it's a place where the presence of god um, can be manifest um, and when the actual walking temple of the presence as it were comes there and, and he kind of calls them back to what it's supposed to be and they've done they've added human things when he, when he critiques the pharisees they've added human traditions on top of the things and lost the spirit of of what they're supposed to be defending so very very easy for us to kind of mm. add a kind of spirit of religiosity <clears throat> over the things God is doing. And that's not to say, you're right to say that organization does happen and needs to happen. There's so much in, in scripture about that. Um, God is a God of order and not of chaos, as Paul says. In, in the, the well, that was the next yeah. question I was going to go yeah. to, actually, to go yeah. to play, you know, to play Chalk's yeah. advocate. Sorry, devil's advocate. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was very naughty, but sometimes, <laughs> sometimes one can't help oneself on a Friday afternoon. Um, <laughs> so does that therefore mean... To ask the leading question, does mm. that mean we should throw order 
out the window. I mean, is, yeah. is, is the takeaway from, from Asbury, from the Welsh Revival, from the Toronto, yeah. for whatever it is, to go, right, yeah. we need to throw structure out the window. All we need yeah. to do is get together on, on a Sunday morning, just pray, no structure, yeah. no nothing, because yeah. that's the yeah. best recipe, yeah. if there is a recipe, um, for the Holy Spirit coming, going wham, and exciting things happening. Yeah. What, I mean, I think, that, no, because the, ironically, that would be trying to organize it. <laughs> so so even the people who say, let's not organize stuff, they end up basically, the charismatic and Pentecostal churches end up with quite, I think, quite boring services because they often end up looking the same. Um, and so we're not actually as, not, just because you look like a charismatic Pentecostal church, it doesn't mean you're more open to the Holy Spirit. Often you have um, contributions that sound very similar uh, to many at other churches. And you, I sometimes get the impression, having spent, you know, all of my Christian life in charismatic churches, I kind of think the Holy Spirit seems quite boring, actually, sometimes in the things he seems to be saying, if 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 we're judging it by the kind of things that we end up thinking are, are, are you know, are what he's saying continually. So there's a big act of discernment on the part of leaders as to whether the Spirit's moving, what what kinds of things is the Spirit saying? And if, if you've sort of cut off the edges of everything the Spirit would say, does it always say nice, cuddly things? Uh, which always seem to be coming in the same kind of direction, the same kind of result, or, or the same vagueness, I guess, uh, can come in. That then I'd be worried that we've actually ironically organised it by, but making it look like we're not organised. Um, the same kind of worship set, that kind of thing. So really, the great thing about this, you know, when when you see renewals or revivals happen, there is a sense of God leading, and then we have a job, I guess, of 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 adding structure to that because god cares about it not being chaos and and again the corinthian church is the example there they seem to be perfectly happy to blast around you know soaking in in what they believe to be the moves of the spirit and paul's kind of saying okay absolutely god is at work here but um it's not a free-for-all you don't just get to do whatever you want there's order and god still massively cares about order he cares about hierarchy he cares about leaders and and those leaders having discernment testing um the spirit this kind of thing so it's not as simple as uh, yeah, us just throwing caution to the wind and saying we're not going to have structure. And even in the um, uh, even in the uh, Asbury revival, you can see some structure uh, coming in now, but it's very very light touch. It's not led really from the front. One, one thing people have um, noticed has been no one really knows who these people are, who 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 the guy is who let who preached this sermon and occasionally gets up and does a little mini sermon and then they get some testimonies. A lot of it's like the students getting involved and sharing testimonies and things like that. Hmm. So there is leadership, but they're trying to be kind of light touch about it and not blast it and immediately try to put it in a in a box. So I think you're right to say that we need to be um, cautious of this kind of throw caution to the wind, <laughs> cautious of the cautious, uncautiousness, um, but at the same time know that God needs to lead. So even in Acts later on, Paul with his missional strategy, there's that moment when he goes and he gets that dream from the man in Macedonia, come over and help us. And and that's just the spirit guiding them. There's other times when he refers to the spirit forbade us to go to this place. You can't go here. And that, that what, what if it was on their mission itinerary? Said, We've got a great idea to go here. We've planned it. And I'm feeling the Holy Spirit telling us not to go here. And so there's that real openness to sort of, at any moment, we should be open for God to genuinely change it. And so those churches that seem to be pro-spirit, as it were, or spirity type churches. Oh, one second. I've got, I've got uh, this, that's the Cliff College uh, alarm bell. Well, that's not a revival at Cliff College happening. That was our, uh, our Friday afternoon loud fire alarm. Anyway, um, and if it goes off again, you, I'll just run away and you can finish off the podcast. <laughs> That's right. There is a book. To, there is actually a book I'd rec- I was going to recommend earlier, The Firestorm of the Lord, actually, by Stuart Piggin, which is a book that we use on our course here on Revival. So there you are. But another thing to mention, by the way, on the Revival Renewal thing uh, would be 
Americans use the word revival differently. So you mentioned Toronto before, Andy, and the kind of, is that a revival or renewal? I think I'd agree with you that I don't think it was a revival classically understood because I don't think Toronto changed the culture in some massive way. I don't think non-Christians knew about Toronto all that much. Maybe, again, I'm maybe wrong and there'll be some people who can write and say, no, I was there and it it absolutely was on BBC News, that kind of thing. Um, It's a pre-social media age, of course. It's a lot easier to find out about stuff now and for stuff to go viral in ways that it wasn't in the early 90s. But I don't remember, you know, looking back historically, though I wasn't a Christian then even, so I couldn't even, certainly couldn't comment. But um, it doesn't seem as I look historically that Toronto led to some epic cultural transformation but the great awakening did and the welsh revival did um and these are things where it did kind of spill over and we saw like church planting movements we saw really significant things actually happening and it wasn't just a kind of a new experience of prayer in in the lord which is a great thing in itself and and not to be sniffed and actually something to be sought you know the prayerful seeking of god is something we should always be seeking but we need to be open to um seeing what god might do in kind of fresh ways Whereas, whereas americans uh, often American Christianity tends to call a revival anything. So they might call, if you came, Andy, to some, did, did a week of talks, they might call it a revival. We're going to do a, rev- a revival because it's an evangelistic, a set of evangelistic meetings, a Billy Graham revival, because Billy Graham's here speaking in a tent for a week. And that's a very different kind of thing to the revival of the sense of, right, wow, God is doing an epic thing that's spilling out of the church into the streets. No, I think you're, um, I think you're right. I think there are, there are language differences, but I'll tell you the other thing you mentioned there, Aaron, that is worth thinking about is your, you know, your comment that the, so the Toronto um, experience, revival, renewal, the Toronto blessing, whatever you want to call it, in the late nineties. Of course, you're right. That was in the pre-social media age. Now, of course, we are in the social media age, and I, it's fa- it's fascinating. I think watching the way we do this as 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 Christians. I mean. Part of me has a slight question, I suppose, that mm. are we so desperate for good news that we, you know, when something like Asbury happens, I mean, and it's great, don't get me wrong, it's phenomenal, but I, I've seen so many people sort of share it and comment mm. on it and get, you know, sort of excited around it. And I, part of me, the kind of evangelist in me, just just flags up the question of, is it because in many of our churches we don't have a culture of evangelism? Because if you do, then I think you can look at someone like Asbury and go, that's mm. fantastic. It's mm. just, a, it's so encouraging that God is doing something dramatic. But also, it's not the only thing that happens. It's also exciting mm-hmm. that in the daily life of the church, you know, people are coming to, mm-hmm. to faith and whatnot. You know, I was having a coffee with a pastor yesterday afternoon, and he was just telling me it was really exciting that that somebody had walked into their church uh, the, the afternoon before. He'd been on the fringe of things, you know, came here and this, you want to chat through mm-hmm. the pastor, but gave his life to Christ mm-hmm. That afternoon, all happened quite suddenly, actually. You know, two or three sort of objections fell in a particular pastor unless you got sorted out. And then the guy, I think, actually said, I just, mm. I think I just need Jesus. I think I, mm. I need to just do something here. And the pastor said, yeah, you do, and just prayed. And the Holy Spirit came mm. on him because it's quite a charismatic church. So, you know, they they, they, mm. they, they they sort of pray things that way. And I was like, that's fantastic. That's that's And that's not obviously a revival, um, but that's great stuff. But you don't hear about that on, on, on social media. So I guess the question is how I suppose we're careful – that we share the good news and we get excited and we rejoice with our brothers and sisters in Asbury. But I'd be, I'd be nervous if the, the takeaway from this is that everyone jumps on a plane and heads over to Asbury yeah. because they've seen some, you know, yes. Facebook posts from Craig Keener. And, and, and let me be very clear here. One of the things I like about what Craig is doing, right. he's, he's said exactly the opposite. He said, don't pray for us, please, but don't, don't come. Right. If you're in the area, come and bring friends and, 
and stuff. Absolutely, of course you do. But this is probably not an excuse for yeah. you know Christians who look in their their first class Qantas <laughs> well, ticket. You should to, have uh, said that actually to Jane. This should be your tweet reply to Jane, just to say you know, yeah, why not go to Raspberry? I'm sure they'll fund you to come over and uh, get some uh, get some real blessing. No, I think you make a good point again about the weird the weird sense of like location mattering. I I find it really hard to reconcile, and, and we should because the Holy Spirit is not located in a place um so we almost go old testament when we when we kind of flock to one place it was the same with the florida revival in the early north early to mid noughties i forget exactly what year people were going there it's okay i think it's okay for people to go there to check it out i think that's that's an appropriate thing to do and that's what historically people have done that's what jonathan edwards did by the way uh, during the great awakening like going and seeing the work of the lord it's kind of there's an intrigue what is god doing especially if there's like phenomena like miracles from what i can hear so far from asbury there haven't been like epic amounts of healing which sometimes accompanies revival but there has just been this contriteness of spirit this kind of coming before people on their knees praying convicted of sin as i'm saying sharing testimony becoming christians and just worshiping like for a long time like i said the reason this happened is not because they someone got up one day like on the, on that wednesday and said right the Anglican Church is going to part. Let's start a revival. Um, the Holy Spirit might have done that on Wednesday morning, and I'm perfectly happy to believe that. Um, but it's not, again, not a planned thing. It's something just an overflowing prayer meeting. So people just staying longer to pray and worship is literally all that happened. So we're just looking at people who want to worship God, which is great. Um, and it's just carried on for days and days. But but so going to that place, I don't quite know what you're expecting to happen. You're is is the Holy Spirit moving in that building in a, in a unique way? Is it because of the kind of conflagration of those people? I'm not quite sure that's where the magic is. I've already heard of other places where other colleges mm. try, you know, saying, well, let's just start our own prayer meeting. Again, maybe. And maybe it's something that God is doing in that in that one place and it's for that one place. And maybe it's supposed to inspire us to to seek God um, further. And that's to be honest, probably how revival has happened historically. People hear of these reports and they seek God afresh. Oh God, mm. could you do that here? And that'd be wonderful. In fact, our principal here at Cliff uh, gave a uh, you know, gave some kind of tweets from the uh, revival at, at our prayer meeting at our kind of college um, chapel service the other day, just kind of to seek God and, and to you know bring bring everyone together. And, and, and he did lament that the students in our college aren't as fervent, uh, the undergraduates especially, in our, in our in our college for prayer as they have been in previous years and that's just something that loads of bible colleges will be able to uh, attest to which is very sad that people can come and study theology but not be particularly excited uh, about prayer now that's that would be d- doing a disservice to e- all of our students for sure if i if i put them all in that in that category and, and many others but i just think it's a, a problem for the western church in general we do not seek god in desperation knowing how much we need him knowing, knowing how much we need his blessing and how much we need his uh, relationship so yeah so we don't want to go flying across the world to seek some location but we do want to seek the same spirit which is working there and that's what we want to see um by the way the, the thing i did find interesting as you were talking there about that location seeking i always find what's interesting is there's a it amuses me ever so slightly that there's some you get strange connections in in theology so you know those at the more you know charismatic end of and uh, the things in in, in evangelicalism mm. who would you know want nothing to do with anything that remotely smacked of Catholicism. Mm. Well, of course, in Catholicism, place is really mm. significant, mm. Uh, right? There's more of a theology of place yeah. uh, in Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy, um, and 
you know, I, as someone who was raised in a very sort of you know conservative evangelical church, where anything that even even <laughs> even you know even looked remotely the slightest hint of, of popery, I remember my my granny banging on about popery, and I got confused <laughs> because I thought that was you know yeah. a bowl on her windowsill with bits <laughs> yeah. of flowers in them, but not that kind of popery. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, and so the idea of you know pilgrimage or any of those things would be absolutely frowned upon. But actually, in the evangelical church, we have our own versions of this which is we you know we go to we go to asbury we go to toronto mm. we go to those places because we think those are thin mm. places mm. um whereas i as i've got older i've i found myself finding you know enjoying going to places like you know holy island in, North, in northumbria where christianity first you know really came to the north of england and that to me is a, is a thin place that is a liminal place mm. you can i actually think you can feel the fact that there's been christians praying mm. there for for 1400s i don't know quite how that works um, so I don't, I don't, I don't get worried at all, actually. But I do find it funny that some people who would, you know, want nothing to do with the kind of idea that there's a theology of place, are um, are tr- merrily trotting off somewhere. Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, I, I, I still, I, I do think that you can have a theology of place. I, I like that, that like place matters and things like that. But I just don't understand. I don't really understand how. I don't think it's a. Yeah, I don't really buy the whole thin places thing. People talk about Cliff College like that all the time, and I kind of think I just don't. I'm not. <laughs> maybe I'm just not uh, as uh, optimistic about our own place here. But I, I uh, we get people who refer to places as a thin place. I just don't understand. There's any biblical warrant for there being a thin place in the New Covenant. But but yeah, Lindisfarne would be one people refer to. But then of course Lindisfarne. That's why it caused Lindisfarne such a theological problem when the Vikings came and sacked it in 793 because people were like oh. I thought this was a thin place. Why are these Vikings here? It must be that God's judging us for our sin. Um, but these are very devout monks. I think, yeah. I, on that, I would say, though, I think it, without changing the topic radically, I think a lot depends on what you mean by thin place. I agree with you. I've come across people who use that word, and I often find myself, you know, going all Princess Bride on them and going, <laughs> you know, meme, yeah. I don't think that word means what you think it means. Whereas to me, it simply means there is there is something significant about somewhere where Christians have... Mm-hmm. where there's been been worship and prayer for a long 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 time not in some way that god thinks it's special mm-hmm. and therefore is going to defend it against the vikings um but i think there's there's significance and i think i think there's a whole episode in here some actually on the the danger sometimes as evangelicals we run away mm-hmm. too much from sure. structure like that so iconography Sac- uh, sacramentology know, bodily videos. posture yeah. in prayer the physical yeah whereas actually one of the things i love about the yeah, new yeah. testament is very earthy spirituality that god is interested in you know this mm, is a god mm. who told us you know stepped into space and time and history mm. and asked us to remember you know the the mm. death and resurrection mm. of jesus what in bread and wine you know he could have just said i want you to just get together yeah, once yeah. so we can just think pious thoughts yeah. but actually yeah. no now and as you know in church history massive debates mm. around well is it just more than bread and wine i don't I, I i don't think it is more than bread and wine to nail my sacramental colors to the mask yeah. but it's certainly not less than bread and wine and if we were to you know i get ner- I, I would get nervous when you occasionally hear of churches doing things like oh cool forget <laughs> the bread and wine and we'll have pizza and yes. coke yeah. i'm like no i'm not sure sh- i think that's the other way i think i think yeah, yeah. god does actually care Absolutely. about stuff he, he became flesh for a um, reason yeah. as, as someone who actually did but, have i did have a pizza and coke for, for after, a reason this is my confession time too you, you you can be my priest in the booth. You're my priest. We'll be each other's priests here, vicariously, uh, you know, mediating in our in in a, in a, in a Roman. <laughs> exactly. That's right. No, exactly right. And I think we we do need to recover uh, something of of that. Um, yeah, of of the kind of the, the love of the earthiness. And we talked about that in our last episode about muscular Christianity. In a weird way, 
that that whole thing about muscular Christianity was putting flesh on the spirit. Um, and here with with revival, we're kind of saying we're putting spirit on the flesh because we do live. There's that other sense of the flesh being negative, and the, and the term that's actually used. The NIV translates sinful nature, uh, of course, but uh, you know NRSV ESV tend to tend to translate as the, as the flesh. And that's there is something we do live fleshly, worldly lives, and so revival is one of those times where it's like the spirit breaking out, reminding us, oh my gosh, how important is my bank balance really? How important is my career status really? How important are all of these things in comparison to who God is? And and wow, how much I need God. So there's that kind of awe and the holiness of God. But funnily enough, even in, in, going back to Asbury, the um, there was a, a thing that happened there in 1970, wasn't there? The um, the uh, Revival, kind of revival, also referred to as revival, probably similar to this out of the prayer meeting, and so that that is a place where this has happened before. So those who are the thin place advocates might might want to jump on that. But I did notice when I saw a picture of the the auditorium where they're where they're meeting the kind of um, big yeah auditorium um, has a holiness unto the Lord. I think it says on the on the behind the altar and or behind the kind of um, the stage holiness unto the Lord, and that is that sense of holiness which has been recovered that's what that's what the point is which is again why i found it so fascinating as a contrast to what's going on in europe um with, there's a renewal of holiness and that's what again that's why methodism started that's it was a holiness movement it was coming back to purity in your life in the way you use your flesh so you're not so you're not being fleshly by mm. just giving in succumbing to the flesh you're kind of being taken up in some other way not in a way that makes you gnostic and some float off into the clouds but it was methodism was very was earthy it was earthy but it was also very spiritual it was a spiritual renewal and, and revival and like i yeah. said um it the methodists had an impact hugely on on them on america america would not be the america it is today without the great awakening it was like some even credit george whitfield as being massively influential on the founding of america and of, of the us as it were the you know in in the 1700s and and that's you know yeah, yeah. well similarly here of course you know that the, the methodism it's to some extent credited with, you know, why is it that that we didn't have something like the equivalent of the French yeah. Revolution here? Because you could argue that the tinder was very, very dry here, and it wouldn't, and with with all the, mm. with the poverty and everything else, and it would not have been difficult for mm. that to have been triggered. And I have, you know, read various, you know, historians who would argue that one, not not the only cause, but one cause certainly mm. was uh, was Methodism that mm. it kept a lid. Mm. On some of that, and we forget some of the history there. I mean, I was—I'd forgotten some of what had gone on in Methodism. In fact, just a few weeks ago, I was speaking up in, in Cheshire, in the north of England, and I was, and I was at a wee little place. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was um, at a little village called called Mocop, which is an amazing kind of place in Cheshire with this like r- wonderful kind of rock outcrop and a and a and a, and a castle on the top of it. And uh, there, there was actually an information display board, and, and you know. Bless them, the National Trust, to the charity that look after a lot of these monuments in the in the UK, which is incredibly left wing. Actually, had a really, really mm. good information mm. board there on the Methodist revival there, and there's a photo from about 1910, something like that. I think of about hundred thousand people had come to hear. I forget who was preaching there at, at Mocop, and you know, it was there were so many people came for that when that you know mm. mini revival happened or renewal, whichever you describe it as. But I think it was probably more revival in that loads of people came to Christ. You know, the local the train company was having to lay on extra trains from mm. all across the north because because people were coming and bringing their, their friends. Mm. And again, it had that sort of unexpected quality, mm. I think. It mm. sort of, nobody planned it. It just sort of, someone started preaching, mm. they started praying, and suddenly this thing went nuts. But the other thing I like, I think that intrigues me about, about, about Asbury 
Um, Aaron, I also wanted there's a challenge for all of us. Yeah. It's only a challenge for the, the likes of the Church of England, which is that, you know, there they were sitting, all their bishops doled up in, you know, finery and whatever, you know, talk about how many, yeah. you know, angels can get married on the head of a pin. And just these it, internal debates that go on and on. And before mm. that, it was environmentalism. Before that, it was the Archbishop of Canterbury spending most of his time mm. banging on about mm. health and safety during COVID rather than much else. Um, and, and and I think I just wish I would see the General Synod talk as much about evangelism yeah. as it does about others. Anyway, there's that side of it. But the other side, before those of us, you know, like you and I, who are more, you know, perhaps, you know, conservative evangelical and our, not where we position we? ourselves. With a small C, <laughs> with a small C. Um, but here's the challenge for us. I often say to churches and include myself mm. in this, is there a danger that we we actually become secularized in the sense that we don't actually believe this is possible. Mm. You know, we, we get excited about an Asbury, but can we, do we, do we actually believe we like to say we do, but do we actually believe that God could do something similar Mm. in the, in the UK? And I, and I do wonder sometimes if our, if our, if our mouths say yes, but our behavior Mm. sometimes says other than, Mm. than, than that. And I don't know what you do with that. I mean, as you say, you can't go and create the structures for it, but I, you know, when I'm teaching on evangelism, I'll often say in churches, you know, do we need to, some of us need to confess that maybe deep down we don't think evangelism is possible. Mm. We don't actually believe that we could find a way of mm. talking about mm. Christ in our workplaces, yeah. that there might be a result. We don't actually believe that we could get together and pray fervently and regularly and actually something might break out. Mm. And so, yeah, and therefore what that sometimes leads Christians to is not to engage in behaviour that's risky. Mm. So we don't we don't go and do a door-to-door campaign in the local town because, hey, we might be disappointed. Mm. And if God didn't show up and we couldn't cope with that because our faith yeah. is a thin veneer. Yeah. And I think there's a challenge here for us in in the, in the evangelical churches is how much do we really believe mm. that revival is possible? How much do we really believe mission is possible? How much do we really believe evangelism mm. is, yeah. is, is, is possible? And maybe for the, if you've been spending time you know, those of you listening to this podcast, watching videos from Asbury and stuff, maybe the challenge is, okay, why not behave like it's possible? Yeah, yeah, don't yeah. don't try and bottle it up. Yeah. But hey, you can never go wrong with prayer. Mm. So what about start a prayer meeting for your community? Mm. What's the worst that could happen? Mm. You know, God doesn't do anything dramatic, but actually your mm. faith is encouraged. You come together more and smaller prayers are answered. What's the best that could happen? Yeah. Something breaks yeah, out. Yeah. But yeah, I don't no. know. Maybe there's a bit of a wake-up call for all of us Absolutely. Here. No, that's a re- really, really helpful thing. Um, uh I, I, that would be a really great way to end it, but I actually wanted just to, to, to go into a couple of other bits about it, which was um, just off the back of what you say there, the the, the call to prayer um, and, and the need for us to think of not being cynical and skeptical about it. Because I, I mentioned earlier the way in which even on social media, there's lots of conservatives who are immediately skeptical. And I think there's reasons for that because they may see people who are, they've, they've known people who are charismatic or Pentecostal go a bit crazy and be a little bit lightheaded, shall we say, over anything that could happen, any phenomenon. Oh, we'll jump up, we'll throw everything, throw caution to the middle, we'll sell everything we have and get to Hasbury or whatever. Um, and, and there's sort of a sense in which they expect everything to happen immediately. And, and there's no steadfastness. There's no sense of kind of digging in for the long haul. So it's actually just a, a bit like how many postmodern young people are just looking for the next experience and it could be an Asbury experience but it could be some other kind of experience and so there's a gravitation to any kind of experience and I don't know, I don't know if you've ever been to a, a, a um I went once to a, a couple of times to actually to a on the cliff college stand actually pro- promoting the college at a, a one festival which had a 24-hour worship gathering I don't know if you've heard of these um before 
Um, but, but they literally just have worship bands on all the time. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind yes, of right. think some some of that is is in this younger generation. They're, they're wanting this kind of experience of God and kind of pushing for it. But we want to see, as you're saying, Andy, results from it. We want to see fruit from it, not just I went and had a personal experience with God. So I'd often talk to people who came out. I was in the kind of promo tent at one of these events. And I'd talk to people as they came out of the big tents who've been in like a long worship time. I said, oh, how was it? Oh, it's just amazing. I was just kind of poleaxed on the floor. I said, oh, wow, okay. What what do you feel like happened? What do you think God was doing? Oh, I don't even know. It just, you know, just amazing. And they can't articulate anything about what was really going on. There's no kind of mind. Is, do you feel God's put his heart, his, his finger on something in your life? Is there anything that you feel needs to happen? And there was just often nothing. It was just a kind of, I go for a kind of vending machine experience and then come out of it. That would be a kind of more cynical view. But I do think that's a genuine danger so that's why some people get cynical because they think there's just people who are wanting just to see this kind of exciting stuff all the time and they only want excitement and they don't want anything that isn't immediately um, playing into that so but but on the other side of that there's a great what the best example i i would recommend would be to, in terms of books on this would be jonathan edwards on revival i mentioned him earlier he was there during the great awakening as the likes of uh, whitfield came over and whitfield preached in his church um and he was Jonathan Edwards, for those of you who don't know him, is one of the greatest theologians ever, um, and certainly the greatest theologian in the, in the that came out of the, uh, America, and hasn't there hasn't been one like him since. Um, and, and very, he's reformed and very, very, um, very detailed in the way he thought about God. Very scriptural, very, um, very kind of uh, focused on the fact that this that our life is geared towards the glory of God. He wasn't like a human centered, feelings centered person per se. But this experience of the revival, he was open to it, and he went around and gave an account of it. He was asked to give an account of what was going on. So he did go and visit around these different places, and he wrote um, a few little pamphlets, which ended up you collected together, Banner of Truth, put it together just on a book that's called Jonathan Edwards on Revival. You might have heard it recommended. You might have got it on your bookshelf and never even taken it off. I would just recommend reading it, because he's he's not someone who's easily fooled. He's not someone who's just blasted and going, oh, I'm really excited about this thing. Yeah, whatever it is, it's probably true. He really went and, and kind of diagnosed it. They tried to kind of, di- oh, not, not quite dissected it, but tried to really understand it from a sense of this is really, this is what we see in the Bible. This is something about God's spirit moving. And where is it being abused? Where might it be manipulated? I understand he's trying to understand where the skeptics are coming from, but he ends up in a really good place giving a kind of sense of here's the marks of where tr- a true work of God is at work. And I've seen it. And he says, even in my own church, there's the young people I was preaching to who were always causing trouble. It was always difficult. It felt like I'm trudging through the mud trying to get through to them. And suddenly this move of God happens and they're like putty in my hand, as it were. They're hearing the word and responding to it in a powerful way. And God is clearly at work. So it's almost like all of ministry where you work yourself to the ground. You're praying for God to come and bring the oil of the spirit to make things run more smoothly. Now, it isn't always going to be like that. Every every sermon isn't going to be received in exactly the same beautiful way where everyone is responding like this, but you're praying for this to happen. And when the spirit moves, wow, like things happen that you could never have made happen by your own imagination or your your own sort of planning. So that's the kind of thing I would say the takeaway from it to say that there's something to not be skeptical, but to be wise and biblical about it, but actually then just to be praying, as you said, Andy, for that change of heart in people and in ourselves as we're kind of seeking God for what he might do and not just going through the motions and have our play, Play-Doh Christianity, but to have one that we're really open to what God might do. And I think the other, um, my other takeaway from this, you know, Aaron, you mentioned young people there particularly. And I mm. do think 
you know, as someone who travels quite you know widely uh, across the UK church scene, and in your case, you're you know you're, you're teaching and training lots of young people. I think actually, for those who aren't aware of this, I think the really positive thing about Asbury is exposing people to what is going on. Because I'm conscious, it's very easy, very very easy to just look around and assume the church is just the four walls of your building, and if there's not a lot happening, you can get quite mm. depressed. And I think actually one of the exciting things about Asbury, yeah, yeah. you know, to, to sort of draw this to a close and a real positive, is while you say asking the good questions that, that you've talked about there, while not going mad and nuts and and also, you know, not trying to bottle this experience in some sort of bizarre way, nonetheless going, hey, isn't it amazing? And to be encouraged that if you're a Christian in the UK, if you're attending a church of a hundred or so and it's, you know, growth is bubbling along, but nothing dramatic, on the other side of the world, mm. God is very much at work, but you are part of the same family. So it's not the Asbury revival is not, you know, it's not disconnected from you know, you know, you know, since standards Baptist church in, you mm. know, Swindon or something, it's, we're all part of the same thing. And mm. I'm sure I've mentioned this on the, um, on the podcast before, but when I was in Canada, there was a really interesting, uh, piece of research done looking at young people who'd held on to their faith in university rather than lost it. Um, we know lots of young people sadly walk away from faith at university, but you know, some remain. And this piece of work looked mm. at those who remained and tried to figure out why. And there were a number of causes, but the, the top two intrigued me. The first was was apologetic, because they didn't use that word, but it was what they basically described. Mm. Churches where questions are welcome, where young people are helped to understand the reasons why things are true and to work through their questions and doubts openly and given really good, you know, sort of grounding and stuff. It's like, great, that's apologetics. But the second was interesting. It was ch- Christians who've been, young Christians who've been on short-term mission, um, really builds mm. resilience. And the report dug into why, and one of the things that was the conclusions was when you can help young Christians, young people who are Christians, understand the church is not just their church on a Sunday, but there is a global church and a historic mm. church. It is so much bigger than you. Um, massive yeah. resilience. And I think there's something like this in Asbury, actually, to go to help a, you know younger Christians, especially Christian young adults, to go, we want to be praying and we want to be concerned about holiness and faithfulness and pursuing Christ. And while we do that, if revival doesn't break out in our town, well, firstly, I believe mm. if you do those things faithfully, you will see fruit because God is faithful. <clears throat> but be encouraged mm. because in other parts of the world, Asbury or where, wherever it is, <clears throat> stuff is happening. And that's your story too because you're part of that that family. And we can trust mm. God and we can mm. pray that one day something happens for us. But even if it doesn't, we can still be excited. And I think giving young, mm. the more we can give our young people a global perspective – on their faith, that is going to pay off big time. Um, and if we fail to do that, I can understand why, in a sense, you've given them a, a, a Christian community that's too small and they're going to struggle. So I think we should tell the story about Asbury. We should be preaching about it and telling about it. And, you know, it's great that um, it sounds like you said your principal at Cliff College perhaps has referred to it and get the, you know, let's let's blow some of our young students' minds and go, look what God is, look what God's doing. Isn't it great? No guarantees it'll happen here, but hey, we can lay the ingredients down. Let's get praying. Let's see you tomorrow in the morning prayer meeting. Absolutely, that's wonderful, Andy, and a good uh, good way to end it. That note of prayer, and no no revival has ever happened without people praying. That's literally, if there was an ingredient, it would be people getting together, praying for each other, praying for God to move. So that's wonderful. So if you can do nothing else after listening to this episode, if you're new to all of this revival talk, if this is weird stuff to you, just start praying. Pray for God to move and see what happens. And uh, you never know, you might get a, an Asbury or a Great Awakening near you at some point. And then Andy Bannister Revival Ministries will be glad to come and host a whole week uh, in a tent for you if you put them up 
in a, in, a, in his own tent. I'm sure. I can safely say, Aaron, the day I try to name anything after me, you can you can shoot me. Um, okay, that's kind of thing. We've got we got that on record now. That's you have. Good. That. Okay, I mean, excellent. I didn't say with what a water pistol. <laughs> A paintball <laughs> gun, a t-shirt gun. That's good. That's a good um, catch-out. But, uh, yes. And yeah, I think yeah, the same would go. Would, uh, Absolutely. Would, we'll, we'll make that pact. We'll make that pact. That's we'll become our together. confession of our, our Coke and pizza community. So if I ever see Aaron Edwards International Ministries on the uh, on the door somewhere to go <laughs> look out for the brick through the window. Um, but no, I think that's a great place to end, as Absolutely. you say, to go, we can be praying. And that's, um, mm-hmm. I mean, that's something you could do right now, isn't it? The great thing about prayer, if you're listening to this mm-hmm. in the car, on your run or whatever, let's, uh, you know, just uh, let's mm-hmm. campaign for more prayer in our churches. You can't go wrong there. Well, absolutely. You, can, can I can I pray to end? Is that right? Why don't you pray to pray? end? We do that occasionally. We don't do that enough. So why don't you why don't you pray to yeah, to, to, pray. to, yeah. to uh, do that? Yeah, Lord, we just Lord, we just uh, thank you for your the movement of your spirit, Lord. The way you love to come and um, touch us with touch our hearts with 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 your um, with your compassion, with your love, and actually with your holiness as well, Lord. Thank you that you are holy. That we worship a good, holy God who is just a God who does bear wrath and bring wrath upon sin does not tolerate sin in the way that we might want to tolerate sin Lord, thank you that you don't tolerate sin in our own hearts even those of us who like to think we're holier or like to think we're right about things lord we know that you are above and beyond us lord and you have so much that you can draw our hearts closer to you and 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 draw draw us into your holiness Lord. And we just thank you for the events that we're hearing about around the world we pray that they would continue that they would be good that good things will come out of them we pray for fruit to come out of them in in the place itself in asbury and in the places around and and, and, and the places around the world who are looking on and, and thinking about it and and praying about it or we pray for your spirit to move afresh in our own communities in our churches and may it not just stay within the four walls of our church or may it spill out may we see greater fellowship of those who are committed to you committed to your word committed to your gospel committed to your truth may we see fellowship amongst those churches who are genuinely devoted to you and all that you would do across this world in jesus name amen well that's i think a great place to end so um we hope you found this episode helpful and enlightening and encouraging. I have been uh, Andy Bannister. That's been uh, Aaron Edwards and his beard, which thankfully you're only listening to this. You're not having to see this. And uh, as ever, if you have enjoyed Part of the Gaps, please do tell your friends, share it on social media, like us, give us a review, all those kind of things. If you hate us, by the way, give us a one-star review. That's 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 fine. You know, we have, we, we have therapists on speed dial. And uh, <laughs> we'll be back in another two weeks' time with another episode. Bye for now. Bye-bye.